Hi, I'm Keely Duncan, and you are listening to the Strong and Beautiful Women podcast, where strong and beautiful women share their stories. I want you to listen, be inspired, and believe in your own strength and beauty, because I believe we are all so strong, so beautiful, and so much more. This week on the podcast, I'm speaking with Kelsey Beck, who I met recently at an event in January my father-in-law and her mom helped put together here in Nashville uh, to raise money for Vanderbilt Children's and the organization that Kelsey is going to tell you about. I told Kelsey I was starting a podcast and I would love to chat with her, and she just agreed. And that's the kind of person Kelsey is. She has a really unique and cool family story. She learned pretty early on about her father's Uh, substance dependence and how to speak about it and now she and her family are helping other kids who find themselves in a similar situation. She is so smart and well-spoken and I just found this chat to be so educational and I hope you guys will too. Here is Kelsey Beck. All right, Kelsey, thank you so much for coming out on a limb, not really knowing me, and coming on the Strong and Beautiful Women podcast and just educating us today. I'm I'm very excited to have you. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm so excited to be part of something so incredible. I mean, just talking to you, I can hear your passion for um, just learning as much as you can and just giving people a voice to, you know, share their stories and to, you know, educate others and just, you know, have a little fun while doing it. And I think that what you're doing is awesome. So thank you. Well, thank you so much, Kelsey. Um, mm-hmm. go ahead and tell us a little about a little bit about your family and, and your dad specifically and what he did for a living. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, growing up, my dad was a professional baseball player. Um, so he cool. played for, yeah. Um, he played for the Giants, the Cubs, the Red Sox, the Padres, um, moved around quite a bit as a kid. Um, baseball is even still a huge part of my life. Um, do you cheer for to... one of his teams still? I think I know the answer to this, but I'm, I'm slightly biased towards the Giants. That's right. They truly, <laughs> yeah. They truly kept us as part of their family. Uh-huh. Um, you know, since, um, you know, all of our stuff has happened and since he's retired and since he's, you know, passed away and everything, um, they've really kept us a part of their family and they're a great organization and I'm so proud to be affiliated with them in any way, shape or form. Yeah, um, absolutely. but yeah, so growing up, we did the baseball thing. We traveled, we played, um, and we got a lot, we got to do a lot of charity work and helping our communities wherever, you know, we landed, whether it's in Boston or Chicago or back in Arizona where, you know, we always came back to in the off season. Um, so is my dad charity was always awesome. something that was always important to you guys? It was always incredibly stressed that, you know, as much as we could have and, you know, as much as our family was doing well, we can only be doing well if we're helping others. There's no way to exist in the world um, just living for yourself. That's not, you know, that was just something that was always, you know, kind of ingrained in me and my sister as kids. And it's definitely something that I've taken, you know, into my adult life with me as well. Yeah, that's incredible. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off earlier. No, it's totally fine. Yeah, and so as you're growing up, um, you kind of knew something was up with your dad, but you didn't have the words for it. And Ab- yeah, so yeah, tell absolutely. us kind of kind of more about that and, and what was going on. Mm-hmm. So my dad had a pretty severe alcohol and drug issue, um, substance depend- substance dependence disorder, um, and obviously at you know, as a child, when you first hear, you know, substance dependence, you're thinking, what? Yeah, right. What I vividly remember, 
Uh, substance dependence means that you're addicted to drugs and alcohol. Yeah, but I, mean, I just, sorry, I meant when you're, like, young, you're probably thinking, like, what? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what is yeah, that? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, my mom sat us down in the backseat of her car. We were driving to go and visit my dad during his first, you know, um, time in rehab. And she was sitting, sitting us down explaining kind of what was going on. And, you know, I kind of sat there and I kind of absorbed her words for a second. And I looked at her and I said, so can we get pancakes now? Is that? (laughs) (laughs) You're like, this is what's important. Pancakes. Right. Right. And so like, I had no context for anything that she was saying. Um, And, you know, growing up, my sister and I, we knew he was sick. We knew that my dad was sleeping a lot, didn't feel good. He was, you know, leaving um, the house when, you know, he was supposed to be home. I mean, it was the off season. He was supposed to be there, but Mm -hmm. he wasn't. And so we were sort of just kind of trying to fight, trying to find a worldview in a language that we had at the time. Um, and so we thought my dad had cancer, um, yeah. cause that's something that's talked about. It's a disease that we're familiar with and, you know, it fits what we were seeing as kids. We were seeing the tired, we were seeing the throwing up, we were seeing the sick, mm. um, and we were feeling the chaos. I mean, there's hushed corn, there's hushed conversations in the corners trying not to alert us. Mom's coming in with like a blotchy red nose and kind of like remnants of tears and she's trying to be all happy and we all know that that's not the case. I mean, we're perceptive even at a young age. And so, yeah, we tried to find, um, a language for what was going on. And obviously we were not right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. But I could see where you would think that that makes sense. Like it's not something I would have thought of, but you saying that I'm like, Oh, I I get that. That makes sense. mm -hmm. Well, it's just something that's so talked about and so common and has zero stigma attached to it. We Mm -hmm. don't blame a cancer patient for getting cancer and, you know, it's a disease and we've all, you know, come to this conclusion that it is, whereas addiction still has this stigma to it. We have as a society, um, kind of dubbed it as this like, uh, old guy sitting, um, on the side of the road, drinking out of his paper bag. And that's not the case. Right. Um, it's our uncles, our dads, our moms, our friends, our cousins, it's our friends' parents. You know, we always have that, uh, growing up, we have those kids who, um, who want to stay at our houses and don't want to go home and want to stay for dinner. And we don't really think about, okay, well, could something be going on at home? Right. We just say, yeah, come on, stay. Right. But there could also be those other things happening. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? We were just having this conversation a couple weeks ago um, on the podcast yeah. with my friend Tawny, um, who had been in an abusive relationship. And you always mm-hmm. think of, um, you know, the battered woman who has this certain look to her. And I would, you're right. The exact same thing is true for, addiction and you do think of kind of like that rough looking person on the side of the road but it's absolutely not and it's, it can look so many different ways mm-hmm. um 50% of people are effect- in the U.S. are affected by addiction 50% and that's direct that's directly affected that's not including you know my friend's mom that's not even including that but mm. your friend's parents often spend so much time with you that they become you know surrogate parents Right. And so then you are directly affected. I mean, this is really something that's everywhere. And there's been a lot of press about, you know, the opioid crisis and all of that. But it's definitely been going a lot longer than just kind of the current press that it's getting. Right. Absolutely. Are you pleased that it's starting to get a little bit more press? Is that, you know, I'm so pleased in the sense that not that I'm, it's gotten this bad and now we have to talk about it. Mm-hmm. I'm pleased in the sense that now when I say, you know, my dad had a drug problem, my dad was addicted to drugs, 
there's not that, oh, well, what did you do? Like, you know, there's not that, um, why are you sharing this? You know, that kind of ugly Mm -hmm. demeanor that comes with that. Um, I got that a lot growing up, oddly enough, Mm. um, because I've never been uh, ashamed of, you know, my dad as a human being. And so there was obviously this part to him, but that was never who my dad was. And there's a whole load of things that he is amazing, amazing for and just this really amazing person. And this is the thing that he's going to be remembered for. No, thank you. So I'm just so pleased that now that all of you know, that we're seeing now that this is a crisis and these people need help. They don't need to be chastised. They don't need to be jailed. They need help. Yeah, absolutely. And I can't imagine, I'm sure just growing up, that had to be so tough to be, you know, told or being looked at in a different way. Um, yeah. Just because of something that maybe your dad struggles with. And I think when we all go through things or our family goes through things, it kind of brings us to a place where we kind of are definitely more accepting of others and we're like, Oh, I get it now. So where if you had a yeah. previous point of view and maybe, um, you were that person that was like, well, what did they do or what happened with their family for mm-hmm. that to have happened to them or, you know, and it kind of makes you realize, mm-hmm. Oh wow, this is something that's way more common that a lot of people are dealing with and makes you kind of humble, I guess. Mm-hmm. It does humble you. And it also kind of makes you reevaluate, you know, your relationships in your own life. And, mm-hmm. um, I personally having learned about the disease of addiction and the disease model through many programs that I've been through plus, um, working now, um, there's so much, um, information out there that it's now being able to be able to reevaluate your relationships and say, maybe I was wrong. Maybe I should be more helpful. I can still have my boundaries to keep me safe, right? but this person still could use help. I still, I can still help this person. Mm-hmm. And I guess, well, we can get to this later too, but how would you, how would you, if someone comes to you and they're struggling with something and you want to be mad and you want to um, be frustrated, um, but you know that they need help, how do you go from there? How do you help them? Um, the first thing that I would say is that it's still okay to have my own feelings right. um, in our, you know, in modern day America, everybody wants to take a pill for all the negative stuff. And we all want to just erase the negative and just be in the positive. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not realistic and it's okay to feel frustrated and it's okay to feel angry. And if, you know, my best friend were to come to me and say, I have, you know, this problem, will you help me first? I would probably be very proud that they came to me. Absolutely. Yeah. I'd be, yeah, I'd be able but I, it's also fair for me to say I'm still kind of angry for, you know, how this has gotten here. Mm-hmm. But I'm still your friend. I am still going to be there for you while keeping you and me safe. Yeah. And that's okay. And anybody who's asking, who's ever asked for help will say, yes, you, of course, can be angry. Like, I'm angry, too. Like, let's be angry together and work through it mm-hmm. rather than let's medicate ourselves, which is the entire problem. Right. You know? Exactly. And even just there's so much to be said for acknowledging those feelings instead of numbing them or putting them away mm-hmm. and just saying like, yeah, I do feel mad and I do feel frustrated and you're right. Mm-hmm. And then going from there and working on them. Yeah. It's so okay to have every single feeling under the sun. And um, it breaks my heart when people say, no, I just have to be happy. I can, I can just push it down. I can mm. just manage it. Like, no, you can feel it. It's okay. You can cry if you need to run mm-hmm. it out. I know a lot of people who go running when they're angry or upset. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's okay. And you can have those tools to take care of yourself and to take care of your emotions without pushing them aside. Yeah, absolutely. And just, 
definitely you want to feel those things and not push them down because they will come up or out some form, some fashion. And it's mm-hmm. so much better just to sit and deal with it than mm-hmm. the effects of, you know, I think what comes later. I've just seen that a lot yeah. in my own personal It's usually life. far more negative. Yes. If you shove it down and wait for it to come out, it's usually in a negative. Mm-hmm. And then you backtrack instead of just saying, I'm really angry right now. I could use, you know, a few minutes of space before we talk. And that's all someone would have to say. And then you can go and do your thing and you can be left alone and then you can come back together and move through it. Right. But it's it's definitely something you learn. It's not something that, you know. Doesn't come naturally. Yeah, it's not something that we teach anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And so emotional regulation is very high on my priority list. Yes, absolutely. All right, so backtracking a little bit. Let's Sorry. No, no, it's great. I mean, I'm like learning so much (laughs) and I hope everybody (laughs) else is too so no this is great I just want to go back a little bit to your story so Mm -hmm. when you were seven you got to be a part of something talk to us a little bit about that time um, before your dad passed away yeah so as I was saying my mom and I were driving my mommy and my sister were all driving to California we're originally from Arizona um, and there's not a lot of resources for families or at least not at the time Um, for families in Arizona. And so my dad was in a treatment program at the Betty Ford Center Mm -hmm. um, in Palm Springs. And my mom decided, thank God, to enroll us in their children's program that's there. Um, The wonderful, wonderful, wonderful Jerry Moe, who has become such a a dear friend to our family, um, convinced my mom and said, even though my mom thought, you know, that me and Kayla didn't know, and we had no idea what was going on. He said, no, I promise you that they know something is happening. Why don't you just let me take care of them for, you know, the weekend? And we'll just see what comes of it. And my mom, hesitantly as could be, mm-hmm. um, enrolled us in their program. And so she, and that's why that's what led her to telling us, you know, dad is an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. Um, dad has addiction. And, of course, me and me wanting some pancakes yeah. hasn't changed much <laughs> as a grown-up. Um But so we were just like, okay, sounds good. And so we get to this program, really not understanding what exactly was happening, but kind of understanding that we're going to find out exactly what's going on in our house. Like we are going to have answers by the end of the day. Yeah. Was that scary Uh, to you or were you eager to learn more? Um, I was not, I don't remember being scared, um, at all. I remember being like slightly hesitant, but not for being fearful of what was coming mm-hmm. I remember being hesitant because my mom was hesitant right but you already um, knew something was wrong because like you yeah, said I like kids knew. do absorb like they're like sponges and just from being a teacher I can tell you like they yeah. soak it all up at a very early age so yeah it doesn't mm-hmm. surprise me that you're aware yeah so I was very aware of kind of the vibe I guess as you would say um, yeah <laughs> Of just, like, the room and what my mom was feeling and, you know, kind of that. And my sister is a very hesitant person, I mean, even now. Um, and so I sort of just kind of walked, you know, with my sister and my mom through these big glass doors. And we walk into this room with, like, tons of kids in there. I think there was, like, 11 or 12 kids already there. And it was fun. The room was bright colored. Like, it was a really great space to be in. And um, Jerry Moe came up to me and my sister and said, why don't you go and fill out a name tag? Um, and we're going to get started pretty soon. We're going to have some fun. We're going to play some games. You're going to meet everybody. Sounds good. Great. Yeah. And so there was this big sigh or this big like exhale of relief. Mm-hmm. Um, just knowing that I was about to get answers. There's other kids here, which means I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, my sister's with me. So I have my comfort piece and we can take care of each other. Um, and it sounds like we're going to have some fun. Like 
why wouldn't that be awesome? Um, and so throughout that weekend, we talked, um, about, it was a, basically a psychoeducational program for kids, mm-hmm. um, about addiction. And it gave us a language to talk with our mom about what was going on. Um, it taught us about treatment and recovery. So what does it look like when addiction is in the house versus what does it look like when my dad's home, you know? Yeah. And so it really defined that line between where the disease was affecting my family and where my dad was lost in all of this. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that in itself, even into my adulthood, has been such a gift. Sorry, I'm getting a little choked up over here. No, no, um, it's amazing. Yeah, just it's been such a gift to be able to still look back at my childhood that is, you know, clouded with, you know, relapse and um, addiction. But I also still remember, you know, riding quads with my dad and flying kites in the park and all of the things that are so just at the core of who my dad was as a human being Mm -hmm. that is not clouded by all of that. And that's where most of my memories sit because of that program. Yeah. What an important tool to be able to separate that cloudiness and and who your dad was as a person. And Mm -hmm. and I know we were speaking some about this yesterday, you know, just Mm -hmm. um, tell us a little bit, like brag on him a little bit. Tell us about what that amazing (laughs) person that your dad was. Oh, I could go on forever. Um, it's awesome because as a grown-up, I get to kind of hear now. I didn't get to know my dad as a grown-up. I was 12 when he passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of my views are still kind of like, oh, my dad's a superhero. But the more that I actually talk to people and learn about it as a grown-up, the more I actually believe he's a superhero. And I know that sounds very counterintuitive. No, but he was this larger-than-life, kind-to-everybody human being um there was a time when we were living in iowa behind the right field fence of the minor league ballpark in an rv wow and yeah we like spent part of the summer there and he would invite um fans after games to just come and hang out and you know have a beer which you know is also part of the addiction piece but you know just wanted to be a real human being with everybody and to absorb you know all of the people that he could um, he also started with the Giants um, there until there's a cure day um, yeah. 25 years ago. Um, and they still do it every year. The 25th anniversary is coming up this June. That's awesome. Super exciting. Yeah. So do you go back yeah. for that game every year? Um, we don't get to go every year. It does kind of fall in line with work and all of that. Yeah. But we try to make it for the big ones. I actually got to sing at the 20th anniversary or the 20th anniversary of it. Oh, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I missed my entire finals week for it. Um, my teachers were totally okay with it. Yeah. It was my senior year. One of my teachers didn't even make me take my finals. She's like, you've had an A all year. Don't even worry about That's it. That's so right, nice. Good. Yeah, see ya. Um, yeah, they made a bobblehead of my dad, which is really cool. Um, it has, like, the Until There's a Cure Day ribbon on it. Um, it's very special. That's incredible. Um, yeah, that was incredible. So hopefully we'll get to go back this year for the 25th. Yeah, that's huge. Well, I know that your dad um, was just an awesome person, and I think that's really cool that you just learned at such an early age to, um, you know, separate that and learn how to, mm-hmm. you know, and so you don't, you know, you can remember all of those positive things. Like, that's incredible. And so obviously yeah. this program had a huge effect on you and your sister and your mom, correct? Definitely. Oh, the biggest thanks to that program ever. It gave, it really gave me my family back. 
if you want to share your dad, um, when he did pass away, um, you had been through this program, you have a history of being charitable. So what, tell everybody what you said to your mom or what your mom Um, says you said. (laughs) Yeah. Um, that whole week and a half, two weeks, really that most of that summer is incredibly blurry for me. Um, but when we were sitting on the airplane, um, I had just talked to Jerry Moe on the phone. I called him. I was at summer camp when my mom came and got me um, to tell me that my dad had passed away. Um, and so we were sitting in the bus on the way, like from like where you park your cars to go to the airport, go mm-hmm. back to Arizona. And um, I had just talked to Jerry Moe on the phone and I hung up with him and I looked at my mom and I said, dad can't die without helping somebody else. Wow. Um, cause that was what his life was about. And I'm sure as heck is what his death is going to be about. You know, we're going to turn this really hard piece into something different and we're going to change our story. Wow. Um, and so, um, yeah. And so from that, our organization pitch for kids was born. Wow. Um, yeah, my mom has since gone back to school, got her master's degree and opened up pitch for kids in Arizona. It's, based on the same education program from the Betty Ford Center um, with a few um, modifications now having more trauma, um, trauma informed care in mind um, as my mom has, you know, progressed through her career. Um, But it's really dealing with kids ages six to 12, giving them, you know, at a child friendly way, um, a language to share with their parents and to share with their grandparents and their siblings to really give them what was given to us, which was a way to explain the chaos. It was a way to embrace my dad for the person he was and not the addiction. Mm -hmm. It was a way to, it's a way to cope when, you know, relapse does happen. It's unfortunate, but you know, it does happen. And ultimately, you know, taking care of yourself through that and not blaming yourself for your parents' relapse is a huge piece. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, eventually, you know, in my case, my dad did pass away and everything that I learned in that program that was really just instilled in the core of who I am, um, helped me through that. And then also just many other challenges that you go through in life. Um, it's all about taking care of yourself and knowing what to do when you feel out of control and what brings you back center, Mm -hmm. um, helps in school, relationships, drama, friendships, you know, um, it's all about, you know, that emotional regulation piece that we were talking about earlier. Yeah. Um, that's so huge to have as a kid too. And it, yeah, well, it so puts you ahead of the curve. There are people in their thirties trying to learn all of this. Right. Right. I was blessed to have it, you know, as a child. Yeah, absolutely. And so those are some of the things you teach and you mentioned, um, kids blaming themselves for their parents' addiction. Is that something that's pretty mm-hmm. common? It's incredibly common. Okay. Um, in my case, my mom, we, we really didn't, we were so young that we really didn't have a language, but when you get into the nine, 10, 11 year old, you start seeing that correlation. When my dad does this, when my dad drinks, I know that this is the cause of all the bad stuff. So you start putting that more together, mm-hmm. um, where developmentally my sister and I were not at the time, not to say that eight year olds don't get there. Yeah. Um, just through my experience, we weren't there. Um, but, um, so as you get older, you know, you make those connections between, okay, this is the alcohol piece. Um, and so when you get to that age, you really do need to have this as like a, 
backbone in your know your mm-hmm. toolbox to say you know this is not my fault he's not drinking because of me mm-hmm. my mom's not my mom's not drinking because of me not using drugs because of me this is because of them and this is their disease mm-hmm. and I am okay I can keep myself okay it's scary at home but now I have the tools to keep myself okay yeah wow and I think that's important to um in a husband and wife relationship to remember as well because they are their own person. And I think there's so much, especially like when you first get married about like you're two becoming one and you're this, Mm -hmm. and there's that kind of, um, there's a word for it, but like, it's something like meshing that happens. Mm -hmm. And you know, you kind of, you kind of start morphing into one another. And Mm -hmm. so when those things happen, it's important to remember that, um, your husband or your wife is their own person and their choices is, or their disease is theirs. And, you know, it's not because of something that you did. I just see that a lot in relationships. Yeah, absolutely. And again, it's that same, it's really, it's that same sense of I didn't do this to them. They're not drinking because they hate me or because they don't love me enough. Mm -hmm. Um, It has nothing to do with that. I know for a fact how much my mom and my dad loved each other. Mm -hmm. I mean, to this day, I still know how much my mom loves my dad. Yeah. Um, And... There was no if any if anything could have pulled him out of it, it would have been that. Right. But his disease was so far progressed mm-hmm. that you know your, you know your thoughts brain is no longer in control. It's just that rewired midbrain. Yeah. Exactly. And I don't want to put you on the spot, but can you talk a little <laughs> bit about the brain and addiction for a minute? Like I can. I've heard a little bit and. Um, a guy came and spoke at our church, but I don't think mm-hmm. I have all the like right words, but I want you to go ahead. <laughs> I'll do my absolute best. Yeah. Um, so essentially we have uh, different layers of our brain. Mm-hmm. So we have what's like the midbrain, which is like your animalistic, your heartbeat, your inner regulation, your fight or flight senses, all of that. That's automatic as a human being. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where all of that sits. Yeah. And then you have like your cortical brain, which is like all your decision-making, thought processes, um, your personality, all of that lies out there. And so what a drug or a substance will do is it will kind of hijack that midbrain yeah, piece, like that very core piece, mm-hmm, and it lights it up and it says, ooh, hey, you need me now to survive. Mm-hmm. Ooh, you don't need anything else. This is what you need. I'm going to make your body freak out when I don't have it because this is now what I need to live, right. which is where the withdrawal piece comes in, which is why it's so hard to kind of get through that withdrawal piece because that's your midbrain saying, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. You need to fix this. You need to fix this. Right. And your thought um, processes and your decision-making happens in a totally different part of your brain. So when people say totally it's, it's a choice when it comes to addiction, at this point, it's really not. No, it's not. I mean... You know, you we get into that, well, if you didn't drink to begin with, um, you wouldn't have this problem. Or your relapse is your choice because you were already clean. Why do you need it now? Um, and that's not how it works. So I like to use the example, if I'm baking cookies and you can smell those cookies, your mouth automatically begins to water. I'm talking about cookies and my yeah, mouth is I want, I want cookies right now. <laughs> Right. And that, and you have no control over it. You didn't say, Ooh, I smell cookies. Do I want a cookie? Yes, I want a cookie. That's not at all how that just happened. You smelled the cookie, your mouth wanted it. 
you're standing in front of that cookie, you're going to pick it up and you're going to eat it. Right. Because that's how cravings work. Right. And so replace that now with, you know, your substance of choice, which is a terrible phrase. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I don't think I've ever thought about that way, thought about it that way. But whatever your substance is. Yeah, whatever. You put that out. Yeah, you put that alcohol in front of the alcoholic and you say, I'm going to leave this here and you can't touch it. Yeah, not going to happen. We would, we would like to think that, but then you also get that piece now of your animalistic, your core of your brain saying, you need that to live. Mm-hmm. Don't listen to them. You need that to live. You're going to die without that. Right. And it sounds very dramatic, but that's, that's what, what your you brain's know, your telling process you, is doing. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so we would like to say that, you know, oh, we're these higher thinking animals. We are above that animalistic brain. We're not. We still got to eat. We still got to drink. We still want to reproduce. We still have all of those right. natural instincts in us. And if we we now have this drug that's saying, you need this to live, you're, there's no, it is very, very, very hard for your cortical brain to now work backwards towards that animalistic instinct and say no. Mm-hmm. And that's something I learned, and I don't remember what they're called, but all those like pathways that form once that action is repeated again and again, those don't mm-hmm. go away. Um, you have to kind of starve them out. Is that, yeah. a, I don't know if there's a better way to say the, that. Yeah, well, no, that's a great way to explain it, actually. So yeah, your neurons do connect, and the more you use a specific pathway in your brain, um, the, more, the more it's going to say, ooh, that's really easy, I can just do that that's really easy. I can just do that. It's kind of like, you know, how people like crack their fingers and they just start doing it without really thinking about Uh it. You've used that pathway so many times in your brain that you don't even think about it anymore. Mm -hmm. And anybody who's tried to quit cracking their knuckles like myself (laughs) um, will tell you that I just do it without thinking about it, but it's not that it's not harmful to me. And so it really, it wouldn't matter, but it's that same thing is that you've used this neuro pathway so many times that you're now trying to get yourself out of this rut, essentially, that you've dug. Yeah, absolutely. No, that makes sense. Well, thank you so much. Um, I'm sorry mm-hmm. if we've just confused everybody out there. Um, I'm <laughs> well, if anybody has any questions, they can always ask, and I'm willing to answer whatever questions anybody has. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, uh, we'll do, we will do our best. Um, <laughs> we'll do our best. I'm certainly not, um, a scientist by any means, but, or psychologist or anything like that, but it all, I have that either. <laughs> but it's so fascinating. It really is. Um, just to know about those different parts of your brain, how it all works. Um, yeah. and it also, Neuro, neuroscience is like my geeky little niche. <laughs> yeah, well, and, it, what, and knowing that it makes you look at the situation differently instead of being like, why can't they just stop? Or why can't this just end? Mm-hmm. It makes you yeah. a lot more understanding of the process and how their brain is reacting and what, like how it's processing everything. Yeah, so. absolutely. It totally makes way more sense when you really break it down. Uh, um, yeah. why this is such a terrible, terrible disease. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Okay, and so tell me about um, some of the things that Pitch for Kids does. I know you've talked about the kids. I know you guys do a few other programs. Um, mm-hmm. And do you work with adults as well, or is it specifically kids? Um, so Pitch for Kids is specifically, I'm sorry, is Hiccup, is specifically for kids. Right, okay. Um, it's kids ages 6 to 12. Sometimes we'll go a little younger than 6 um, if developmentally Um, they are there, you know, sometimes when you, we have the six-year-old with a 12-year-old sibling, they kind of move along or the five-year-old with the 12-year-old sibling, they move along a smidge faster. Yeah. Um, 
but so it's all age appropriate it's all through games it's through music um but it's teaching this language of addiction you know we have um in re- i mean in the adult realm this treatment and recovery um language um for once you're in a program of some kind whether it's through aa through um, a treatment facility um, and we use the exact same terms with the kids so that you know your parent and your child or your aunt and cousin, grandma, grandpa, whatever the relationship is, they all have this continuity of so that they can all talk about it together. Yeah. Um, and so we have this activity where treatment and recovery flies in with this cape. Um, and it's one of our, you know, counselors dressing up as this superhero, but it's taking this, you know, abstract idea of going to rehab and saying, I'm this superhero. I'm here to help. Mm-hmm. I'm here to, you know, guide. I can't do it for them. And, you know, this is something that's going to be a long process. But look at but this is what I'm here to do. Wow. Um, and I'm here to try to help. And so it visually gets them. It, you know, does that still kid friendly of, you know, there are superheroes in the world. And it still relies within the world of the child, but is also related and the same language that the adults are getting in rehab. That's so cool because I'm sure even for maybe not the super young kids, but the 12 year olds and stuff, when you hear rehab and treatment, you think like there's like some shame associated there. There's shame. It seems really scary. It's still an abstract concept Mm -hmm. because too, when you have, you know, this 12 year old who's grown up since like their young childhood, their their very formative years, they've grown up through this. And so their childhood has not really been, you know, that superheroes and magic and glitter. It's been adult conversations and picking up the beer cans off the floor and all of those Mm -hmm. things. And so it brings them back to kind of reestablish that you are still a kid and that's okay. Yeah. You don't have to be this grown up. We can still talk superheroes and magic and fun and all of these things and that's and that's okay. Let's give you your some of your childhood back. Yeah, absolutely. Uh Kelsey, this just hit mm-hmm. me. Tell everybody how old you are because you speak way <laughs> older than you are. I'm 23. Oh my god. Yeah, you make so me feel I'm... like an old lady at 27. <laughs> but like, oh please, just you're the not way you speak and carry yourself is just so impressive, and the way you oh, speak on you. this and help kids. And I know that um, you are probably you and your family are able to be there for these kids in a way that other people can't because you've actually been through it yourself. And I think that yeah. it's just so important and so impressive. Thank you. Well, something too that you know my mom has commented on. We do. Um, a very, um, very brief kind of parent introduction the week before programs. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, my mom does get into a little bit of our story and say, you know what, I was, I, I am not here to judge. I am not here, you know, to tell you what to do. I'm here as another parent. I did this. This is what I thought. And I was super wrong. Let me share my experience so that we can get you into a better, into a better zone of recovery into this. Let's move to the solution and let's not stay in the problem, but we're going to do this together as a journey. Yeah, absolutely. And that vulnerability and opening up, I'm sure just helps the parents and families feel so Mm -hmm. comfortable. Uh, Well, there's so much shame too. I mean, mm -hmm. even for the parents, I mean, we want, we say that, you know, the kids don't want to talk about it and neither do the parents. They're ashamed. Right. And a lot of times, too, we have, you know, grandparents who are bringing their grandchildren in so because their parents are not in the picture. Um, and you have aunts and uncles raising children, raising nieces and nephews, mm-hmm. or just one parent is coming in 
um, and the other one is out of the picture or has gone to rehab. And so often, you know, these kids really have been torn away in some way from their parent and haven't even been told why. So it really starts this conversation before the kids even get there that their parents are even still moving towards this recovery zone. And that even just preemptively gets them in that headspace. Yeah, that's incredible. That's really cool. And you mentioned something too, um, I believe about aftercare. You guys do like an aftercare Mm -hmm. as well. Yeah. So we do the program, um, four times a year as of right now. Um, we're set up to do it more than that. If registration can go up, Mm -hmm. um, again, it's very hard, um, because of so because of the societal stigma, a lot of times, um, this is in Arizona, correct? mm -hmm, Yes. Um, getting kids in the door is sometimes the hardest part of it, but, um, we've never had a parent say you cannot, like, we are never coming back. This is not like, that's never the case. It's always, oh my gosh, like, I didn't even know that they already knew this. Thank you for like helping us. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, that's what we're there for. But so we do monthly aftercare programs. Um, so they're usually like something fun. So like we've done a petting, we went to like the petting zoo once. Um, we saw inside out when it came out in theaters. Awesome. Um, yeah, and we do um, a couple activities to kind of reinforce these messages of self-care, of bringing yourself back into your calm body so that in, even though there's chaos around you, you can still be calm. You don't have to be this anxious, like this ball of anxiety. Um, and so we center it back around there. But we really just try to, you know, have it fun, kid-friendly, keep them being kids and give them that space to just be Yeah, absolutely. That's incredible. And something um, I think you told me yesterday, too, was that they walk in and see kids, and kind of like you did, um, seeing Mm -hmm. the other kids there, you kind of just get to exhale and realize, like, I'm not alone. And I know that's one of y'all's main missions is to make Mm -hmm. sure kids know that they're not alone. Yeah. Um, There's... Yeah, there again. This whole there's a whole stigma about it in you know our society. Um, I actually like to can I kind of equate it with the stigma around HIV and AIDS when that was first a thing mm-hmm. when my dad first worked to make that until there's a cure day. There was a lot of um, maybe we shouldn't be doing this. Maybe this is too controversial. Maybe there's too much stigma. Um, and he you know forced his way ahead and said no, this is a good thing. We're gonna do this and we're gonna be the leaders in this educational platform. Yeah. And, you know, and so there was a whole lot of that at that time. And now we're sort of seeing it again in addiction. Um, And this is affecting, you know, like I said, pretty much everybody. Everybody knows somebody who's affected if they're not affected, like, directly themselves. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Well, kind of switching gears for just a second. Okay. I want to know, you know, I have a lot of friends who Mm -hmm. have lost parents, um, and just, I know that there can be tough times and what mm-hmm. is that, that brings you back to center and that you cling to what, how do you, um, you know, get through the tough days? Um, the tough days first, the very first thing I do is I allow myself to say, I feel really sad today. I literally called my mom the other day and said, I really miss my dad today, but I don't feel sad. I feel angry mm. and that's okay. I'm, I can hate all day long, the disease and I can hate that. Yeah. Um, I don't ever hate my dad. Cause again, I have that, you know, perspective of this was this disease. Yeah. Um, but, and that's okay. And then what I did after that was I hung up, I went home, I took a shower 
I cleaned my room and I like kind of made my space calm. Mm-hmm. I lit some candles and I watched Harry Potter. There you go. That was the thing <laughs> that that day that I needed. And it changes from day to day. Sometimes, yeah. um, sometimes I get together with some of my friends and we like do some singing and we make some harmonies and just laugh and we do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it really depends on what I need that day. But because of this program, there is actually an activity that we do. Um, we call it like a bag of tricks essentially. Uh, and it's basically note cards of things that we've predetermined are things that make us calm. So mine is like um, cleaning my room and watching a movie or singing with my friends or, you know, whatever those things are. And I've had this list now since I was, you know, eight years old of things that bring me back to center. And I don't even have to think about it anymore. I just say, okay, I'm feeling this way. What's a good way for me to get back into myself? And then I can continue with my day. And so sometimes I don't have time to, you know, watch a movie so I tr- roll down all my windows and I crank that music in my car yeah and I go to work singing yeah and that's how I welcome my day wow um, I think we should all so, have a bag of tricks <laughs> I think I really instead I of trying to with, figure out in that moment because you're usually you're kind mm-hmm. of cloudy like whenever you're having you know a bad day or whatever mm-hmm. and instead of having like those cloudy thoughts like what is it that's going to make me you already have those predetermined things mm-hmm. I like that a lot yeah yeah, I've, so I was a head counselor at my summer camp that I worked at, um, and I actually did something similar with um, the staff. Um, I said, you know, let's think about the things that, you know, sometimes we do, you know, just have a bad day and we're in a bad mood. What's the thing that, what are the things that I can just, you know, pull out that says, yep, in 20 minutes, I will at least feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, I did it with, you know, all of my like one-on-ones with my staff, and I said, okay, so if you're having a bad day, what can you do? But also what can I do to support that? Mm-hmm. And just having that conversation really gets people thinking like, oh, this, I, I know that, you know, eating a piece of fruit will really help me. Okay. So let's go and grab a piece of fruit and we can hang out. We can talk about something else yeah. and then you can go back and you know what? And just having that predetermined thing gets you out of that. Well, I don't know. I just feel sad and I'm just going to wallow. And yeah. sometimes that's good. And sometimes that's how we can feel our feelings best. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes you just need, you know, to get out of that rut and say, you know what, I'm going to not let this take me down for the day. Right. And important to feel it, but not stay there. And yes, exactly. Yeah. And yeah, most importantly, just naming the feeling really, mm-hmm. really looking inside yeah. and deciding mm-hmm. what it is that you're feeling. Mm-hmm. sometimes when like really bad like new things happen like I like something just like terrible happened that day I give myself like that 24 hours that yeah. you know, rest of the day till I go to sleep and then you know I wake up and I say okay now what are the things that are in place that I have mm-hmm. what are my bag of tricks that say yes I can still be upset but I can also still keep moving and it doesn't keep me down in that space yeah no that's incredible I like that a lot Okay, Kelsey, um, once again, cannot believe you're 23 years old, Um, (laughs) so smart, so wise. I'm so grateful um, that you've come on and educated us and talked so much about all the wonderful things your family is doing at Pitch for Kids. Um, Will you give everybody really quick the website so they can learn more or get resources if they need them? Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's pitchforkids.org. It's P-I-T-C-H, the number four, K-I-D-Z. Org. Um, and there's tons of resources. There's national resources as well as local Arizona resources. There's an entire kids zone area. It's all in child friendly language while still using, um, you know, the adult like uh, terminology so that they still get, you know, the proper um, words for it. There's some games on there. 
Um, there's some word searches, stuff like that. But so there's tons of stuff on there, um, as well as a way to get in contact us if the program, if you're listening from Arizona, uh, is something that you'd be interested in or even, you know, flying out for the weekend to come and participate in. We'd love to have you guys. Yeah, absolutely. That's awesome. And yeah, I've looked at the website and the Kid Zone is awesome. I'd highly recommend yeah. it if that's something um, you need. Okay, Kelsey, I ask everybody two questions. I want to know what, first, what is strong or what does strength look like to you? Um, Strength to me looks like, you know, taking something um, bad that has happened um, and turning it into something positive. I mean, we, I mean, it's hard and it's not something that's easy to do and takes years sometimes to accomplish it. But not letting those, you know, bad days or bad things or bad, you know, years take you down and still being, you know, your best self. Yeah, absolutely. And what is beautiful? Either where do you see beauty or what is something you find beautiful? I find my mom beautiful. I know that we all love our moms dearly and just how she has so gracefully Mm. Just taken on the world. She has gone back to school in her adulthood. She raised me and my sister with, you know, my gra- with help from my grandma and the rest of our community. But I mean, she raised two girls all by herself, um, educated us, tried to do the best for us, and she just walks the world with such beauty and just such grace. And if I can be like a third of the woman that she is, I would be so incredibly proud. I'm just so proud of her and. She just is just such a wonderful person. Yes, absolutely. And your mom's name is Stacy, correct? It is Stacy. Yep, Stacy Beck. Okay. Um, so happy Mother's Day to Stacy Beck. Stacy Beck and Vicki Weatherly and Jill Duncan. Um, my mom, my mom, mother in law, and then your mom, um, and all the other moms out there listening while we're at it. Um, Kelsey, thank you again so much. Um, thank you so much for having me. I just really appreciate you coming on and um, can't thank you enough. Thank you so much. You have a really wonderful rest of your day. And thanks, everybody, for listening and listening to my tangents. I appreciate you. And if you need any help, <laughs> please don't don't hesitate to reach out. We'll do whatever we can to help you all. Absolutely. All right. Thank you so much, Kelsey. I feel like I always end every podcast with wow. But I mean, wow. See, I told you guys she was smart. She just knows what she's talking about. She's able to convey so well what so many families are going through and what important work educating kids on addiction is. Kelsey, can't wait for you to come back to Nashville. We'll grab some pancakes. Um, Actually, there's a great place for that called Pancake Pantry, so we'll go there. Um, If you guys want to check out Pitch for Kids, check out the link in the show notes below. Um, and there are just so many great resources there. And also you can donate to the organization there on the website. I hope you have enjoyed hearing from another strong and beautiful woman. If you guys are enjoying this, would you uh, take a second and rate and review this podcast on iTunes? Or, you know, what's even better is sharing it. Um, when you screenshot, when you're listening on your phones and share it to your Insta stories and tag me in it, it just honestly makes my day. And then other people see it too and come and listen to these strong, beautiful women. And um, everybody's just encouraged. It's just good feelings all around. Um, you guys are awesome. I want you to know you are strong, beautiful, and so much more. Thank you so much for listening and have a great week.